Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is the word of God. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a time of prayer uh, once more. God, we come to you at this time asking for your mercies. God, as we delve into this passage together, would you speak to us? And we pray and ask that through the, through the Holy Spirit, would you illumine our hearts and minds. We pray that all the convictions that you place in our hearts through this passage, would you help us to apply them to our daily lives. God, we commit this time to you. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would like to begin this message by showing you two images on personality types. And here's the first image. The question that I want to ask you is, which side do you relate with more? Let's go to the next image, the second image. Which one are you? And I'm willing to bet that you already know which one you are. Who is type A? Can I say show of hands? I'm a type A. Type B? Any type Bs in here? See, why am I sharing this? And what does this have to do with today's message? And in today's passage, we will meet two sisters named Mary and Martha. One is a type A. The other one is type B. Based on what we read, can you make an educated guess? Martha is type A. And Mary is type B. And if you're a lot like Martha, who, is hap- who happens to be type A, you're a workaholic. You're an overachiever. You're a perfectionist. You're goal-oriented and task-driven. You always end up taking work uh, home with you, and you feel the need to plan everything down to every detail. And you want to make sure every detail is covered, and you would rather over-prepare. Having unread emails drives you insane. Your Google Calendar is well-organized and even color-coordinated. You have a hard time falling asleep at night because you're still frustrated, stressed out, and anxious. Your mind is just racing. Your life revolves around a long to-do list, and you will feel so lost if you didn't have access to your massive daily to-do list, and you can't help but to check and to double-check and to triple-check that list throughout the day. I see, I see a lot of you smiling right now. Sound familiar? You get, out, you get stressed out easily. You're always anxious and troubled. If you're a lot like Mary, type B personality, you're relaxed, calm, less tense, very easygoing. You don't mind procrastinating. 
You tell yourself, oh, I have work to do, but I'll just do it tomorrow. You live with uh, lower stress levels, and you try to, to make sure that you have a healthy uh, lifestyle, and you don't mind having a messy desk. You love journaling. You don't mind being still. You love reflecting, meditating, contemplating on life, and you often take timeouts. You're people-oriented. And if, as we delve into this passage together, um, I want to remind you, um, to all the, the Marys and Marthas, that if you're a lot like Martha, this message is for you. And if you're a lot like Mary, this message is also for you. And with that in mind, as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to consider two important things. Number one, living in a Martha world. And number two, fighting for Mary moments. Jump into our first point together, living in a Martha world. See, in this passage, we meet two sisters named Mary and Martha. They both love Jesus, and they want to please him. As we are told that after welcoming Jesus into her home, Martha is doing her best to be a good host, and she is frantically trying to prepare a very good and delicious meal for Jesus. But things are getting intense because Martha sees what Mary is doing. She isn't helping out. She's just doing nothing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. And as time goes by, Mary becomes even more frustrated, upset, and furious because of Mary. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus makes an important distinction between Mary and Martha in order to draw our attention to the one thing that really matters. Let's read verses 41 and 42 again. This is how Jesus responds to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here Jesus is not implying that what Martha has chosen is actually a bad thing. Verse 32 in NIV actually reads, Mary has chosen what is Better. And here, what then is Jesus' main point? It's not a matter of who is better. Jesus is not comparing one from the other, saying uh, Mary is better and, and, and better than Martha, so don't be like Martha. And that's not the point of this passage. See, if you're not careful, you'll be tempted to prematurely conclude that the main point of this passage is don't be like Martha because she's bad and be like Mary because she is good. But I want to challenge you not to go there because that would be a terrible mistake and you'll be missing the whole point of this passage. What is Jesus doing then? By making this distinction that Mary has chosen the good portion, what is better? Jesus is not implying that he loves Mary more and that he loves Martha less. As you can see, it's not a distinction of worth or status. Jesus loves both Mary and Martha equally and uniquely then what is Jesus' point here? It's a matter of priorities. Jesus is saying, Mary is doing what needs to be done first. First things first. Let's be honest. We live in a Martha world, don't we? There's simply not enough time for everything that needs to be done each day. And we frantically go through each day feeling overwhelmed and defeated, do we not? 
we feel like zombies throughout the day because we're mentally trained and physically exhausted. I mean, the moment we wake up, we're, pet, we're, we're pedaled to the metal until the end of the day when we come home and crash. Then it repeats again and again and again and again and again. And it never ends. I do believe that this struggle is exponentially greater for us since we do live in a city that is ruled by Martha's. New York City is run by Martha's. You can't survive in this city unless you're a Martha. Everything is fast-paced and measured in a New York minute. You're constantly dealing with an obscene amount of pressure to perform, to get things done and do them well, and also to outperform the people around you. The city breeds Martha's. And because of that, you can't afford to rest because you don't want to fall behind. And you will do whatever it takes to stay ahead of everybody. I mean, nowadays, as long as you have an access to a laptop or a cell phone, you can pretty much do work anywhere, right? You don't even have to carry your files with you thanks to uh, cloud-based storage such as Google Drive, Dropbox, and and, and iCloud. The point is you can do work anywhere, and work never, ever stops. And it is because we live in a Martha world and we work in a Martha city, we don't know how to be still anymore. And whether we like it or not, we are in perpetual motion. Our minds are always racing and preoccupied with many distractions, and our hearts are overwhelmed, and our hearts are filled with anxiety and fear. And because of that, it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to create time and space for solitude, for silence, and stillness. And as a result, we are even more distracted, stressed out, anxious, troubled. The bottom line is, all of us, we are restless. See, verse 40 tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. As I mentioned, Martha wasn't necessarily doing what was bad, but here here was what was happening. She was being pulled away from doing what matters most. She was being pulled away from what is better. First things first. And I do have questions for you, NCF. Do you have any distractions in your life that constantly pull you away from doing first things first? Spending time with your Lord and Savior. What distracts you? Are you distracted? What's pulling you away from what is better? From the good portion, Christ himself. I mean, let's be honest. We are all distracted with something, right? But what is that something? You fill in the blank. And this is the reason why all the more that we need to intentionally fight for merry moments every day. Because if we don't, we're going to crash and burn. And we're going to end up looking just like Martha. Jump to the next point, fighting for merry moments. See, when God created this world, it was never meant to be this way. See, we weren't supposed to live in a Martha world while desperately fighting for merry moments to spend time with God. But what happened? 
mean, sin happened, right? Sin disrupted and distorted and changed everything once and for all. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, Adam Adam and Eve enjoyed a deep, personal, and intimate communion with God. I mean, Genesis 3 reminds us that they used to hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That intimate communion with God. And this was what God had originally intended. But unfortunately, with the entrance of sin, this world turned into a Martha world where we have to intentionally fight for Mary moments to be still in his presence. Let's go back to the passage. Now, in the midst of all this busyness, you know, Martha trying to be a good host and trying to prepare a good meal for Jesus, you know, what was Mary doing? Instead of helping her sister, she decided to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching, right? But to Martha's surprise, Jesus actually says that Mary has chosen the good portion. What is better, which was to be still in his presence, doing first things first. But if you're a Martha, if you're that type A personality, you can't help but to sympathize with Martha here, right? I mean, she's struggling. There's so much to be done, but Mary's doing nothing. And perhaps you feel that way as you go about living your day-to-day life And you're constantly telling yourself there's just too much to be done and there's not enough time and I don't have enough help. I mean, I don't even have time to sit down during the day because I'm so busy. I'm always running around. I'm sure God will understand. I'll eventually get to him when I'm done with everything. But here's the thing. If Jesus is at the bottom of your list, you'll never get to him, right? You'll never get to him. It's a matter of priorities, What is your good portion, NCF? What do you depend on every day? What do you rely on? What are you clinging to every day to get by each day? Is it Christ himself? If not, what is it? I think you need to identify that and ask God to remove that and also help you to fight for those merry moments every day so that your relationship with Christ is intimate and because the love of God is flowing into your life, all the things that you do and all the kingdom work you do is just a natural outflow of his love for you because without that, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to be overwhelmed, defeated. There's going to be no joy even as you serve and participate in kingdom work. So how are you doing NCF? Are you spiritually empty? Spiritually dry? Are you about to crash and burn? Are you on the verge of burning out? Have you been feeling restless? Perhaps you've been ignoring what matters the most. Perhaps you have been neglecting the importance of doing first things first. I mean, when was the last time you spent quality time with God? in the midst of all the the stuff that is happening in your life? When was the last time you intentionally set aside time so that you can be still in his presence? 
what distracts you from being still in his presence, from having a merry moment in the midst of your busy days, weeks, months. Something to think about. And our usual response is, when if, if PJ and I were to ask you, or if your brothers and sisters were to ask you, you know, read the Bible and pray. I think but our natural and, and usual response is, I'm too busy for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to sit down to read the Bible and to pray. I mean, I don't even have time for myself every day because I'm just so busy, right? But I'm not sure if we are that busy. And I'm not, and I do believe that it's not because of lack of time and it's not because we're too busy that we don't get to spend time with God, that we, we go back to the word and we preach the gospel to ourselves and that we spend time you know, intimate communion with our Lord and Savior in prayer. And I do believe that it's a priority issue. The great theo- uh, Reformation theologian Martin Luther, this is what he said. I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I mean, that's crazy, right? But that's what he said. I have so much to get done today. Because of that, I'm going to spend the first three hours praying so that my heart is at the right place as I go about tackling the things that, need, that needs to be done today. I remember when I was a youth pastor, as we were preparing to go to a short-term missions trip to Dominican Republic, I mean, preparing a VVS requires a lot of work, and, and, and it's crazy, right? And so we were frantically trying to get everything done and, and prepare all the arts and crafts. And, and I remember, like, as I was seeing all the students working so hard, I just realized that, that even, even including my own heart, it was just, our heart was just going out the door because we were just so caught up with just doing things, preparing things. So I remember telling all the students, hey, let's stop and let's actually spend time praying to make sure that our hearts are at the right place. I still remember how this one student responded, and this is what she said. Pastor James, we don't have time to pray. Look at all the things that we need to do. We don't have time to pray. I remember being just so upset at that moment, and my initial reaction was, okay, you are not going on this mission trip. Of course, I didn't tell her that. But it was a, uh, a gospel teaching moment where I had to remind all of them, you know, all of these things that we are preparing, all of these th- things that, that we are getting ready to do as we go to, you know, uh, Dominican Republic to, and to minister to the children. But if our hearts are not in the right place, all of these things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter, right? And John Piper, he actually has this quote on prayerlessness. And I remember when I came across this for the very first time, he just punched me in the gut. And this is what he writes. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram would be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. We all have time. We can always make time, right? I mean, don't we all make time for, th- for, for things that we love doing, whether it be attending a concert or a sporting event? We're just simply getting together with friends and going on trips together. I mean, we always make time for that because we don't mind 
setting aside time for that and sacrificing even, right, our resources and time to be able to do that. So the bottom line is this is a matter of priority. Who reigns in your heart? Who rules in your heart? And I think we tend to depend on caffeine more than Jesus to get through each day. I'm definitely guilty of that. I mean, I cannot survive without caffeine. I'm addicted. I mean, I try to limit my caffeine intake to about three large cups a day. Shyness remind me not to drink more than that. So you get jittery and you, you can't get any work done. But if I don't consume my daily dosage, I start experiencing caffeine withdrawal symptoms like right away. Driving headaches. I can't focus. I can't concentrate. My energy level just goes down and I get just sleepy right away. I'm sure you guys have all experienced caffeine withdrawal symptoms. But what about gospel withdrawal symptoms? Have you guys been experiencing any gospel withdrawal symptoms? Because you haven't sat at the Lord's feet, just being still, just basking in his glory, drinking deeply from the fountain of life. And because you haven't done that for so long, that you have been experiencing gospel withdrawal symptoms, but you don't even know. What are some of those symptoms? Lack of joy. Being anxious. Your heart is filled with fear. Did you know that self-pity is also one of them? And notice what Martha says to Jesus in frustration in verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has led me to serve alone? Tell her then to come and help me. Sounds reasonable, right? Jesus, I'm drowning here. I need some help. Go tell Mary to come and help me right now because she's doing nothing. But this is what an utterly depleted soul sounds like. An utterly depleted soul that has not consumed a healthy gospel meal for a really long time. Here, Martha, who is anxious, troubled about many things, represents someone who is experiencing gospel withdrawal. She's spiritually hangry. And I wonder how many of us have been actually experiencing gospel withdrawal symptoms, and we don't even know it. Because we have forgotten to do the most important thing. First things first, to be still at our Lord's feet and to reflect, to meditate, to preach the gospel to ourselves so that our hearts will be captivated and captured by the beauty of the gospel. You know, Luke chapter 10 begins with Jesus sending 72 disciples out for a missions trip. I mean, verse 2 tells us that Jesus tells them, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but then the laborers are few. Therefore, pray in earnest to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus sends them, the 72 disciples, and do you know what happened? They have an amazing missions trip. Spirit of God was upon them, and God used them mightily to kingdom work. They were casting out demons. They were healing you know, the sick. Gospel was preached. They participated in works of justice and mercy. I mean, people came to know the Lord, and they came back, and they were just so excited, filled with joy. 
And they couldn't wait to tell the Lord and Savior, Jesus, you know what happened? Look at all these great things that we did in your name and for your glory. And this is how Jesus responded to them in verses 17 and onward. The 72 returned with joy, saying, The Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Verse 20, this is key. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See what Jesus is saying? It's not about these things that that you do in my name and for my glory. Of course, these things do matter. But if you have this priority mixed up, if you're not rejoicing over the fact that, that I am your heavenly father and that you belong to me and that I will use you for my glory and for my kingdom in spite of your weaknesses and flaws, if that doesn't bring you joy, and all the other stuff that you do for my sake doesn't really matter. First things first, right? Hey! So, so here what Jesus is saying is this. Spend time with me first. Will you not be still? Simply be still in my presence. Come to the fountain of life and drink deeply. Reflect, meditate on the promises of the gospel so that all the things that you will do in my name, all the things that you will do for my glory will be a natural outflow of my love for you. And this is what Jesus wants all of, all of us, you and me, to walk away with from this passage. What does fighting for merry moments look like then? We're doing it right now. Corporate worship, personal devotion. Sounds so basic and elementary, right? But corporate worship matters. Personal devotion matters. Spending time with God, reading the word, praying, these things do matter. I mean, Sabbath, Sunday, it's the first day of the week, right? And this day, as we fight for that precious merry moment, what we do together corporately as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our merry moment, this ought to set the tone for what comes next. Six consecutive, tiring, exhausting, discouraging Martha days. But I think we got it all mixed up. We're struggling to go through six Martha days. And by the time Friday comes, we're like, PGIF, praise God, it's Friday and I can't wait to go to church. But by the time we come to church, we're like barely alive because it's so tiring living in this Martha world, working in this Martha city. But it should be the other way around. Let this merry day set the tone for the next six Martha days so that you go to work with a merry heart so that you love on your children with a merry heart so that you interact with your coworkers with a merry heart. I do believe that that will radically change the way you do your life as a 
Christian if we just do first things first. I have two practical applications for you, one for Mary's, one for the Martha's. Now, who do you identify with more? My guess is that the most of you are like Martha's, right? And if you're a Martha, here's a solemn warning for you. If Jesus is last on your massive to-do list, you will never get to him. You will never, ever get to him. So my challenge to you is prioritize your merry moments and protect your merry moments every day so that your heart is always at the, at the right place. And also, if you're a Martha, do not lose heart. Don't be discouraged because the Lord knows that you are anxious and that you are troubled about many things, whatever those things may be. And your mind is consumed and preoccupied. Your heart is always overwhelmed. And you burn yourself out in a Martha day, right? And you're desperately trying to squeeze in merry moments every day before you hit the head and crash. Consider these words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is why, especially us, living in a Martha world and and working in a Martha city, we need to spend time with God and find this rest that Christ alone can give. Augustine, this is what he writes, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It doesn't matter whatever you try to hold on to to get through the day unless that very thing is Christ himself, you're still going to be restless. Only Christ alone is able to give you that rest. So go to him. Now, if you're married, it's time to get to work. And if you're more like Mary, there's a chance that you might be spiritually bloated. Now, what do I mean by that? And what does being spiritually bloated look like? Chances are, if you're a lot like Mary, you're probably listening to like 10 sermon podcasts, reading like 10 uh, books at the same time, and, and just reading through the Bible just left and right. And you do have your merry moments, because you're a Mary. You're reflecting, meditating, preaching the gospel to yourself, but that's the extent of your Christian life. And in doing so, you reduce the Christian life to just Jesus and me moments. But I think that's an incomplete picture of how we ought to live our lives as Christians because it shouldn't be something, faith shouldn't be something that we keep, you know, private. We're called to live out our faith. We're called to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. We're called to participate actively in kingdom work in his name and for his glory, right? And I think Scott Sauls, he was absolutely right when he talked about this concept of, spiritually, of being spiritually born. And this is what he writes. In several Bible studies by serving no one, you may be over-churched, under-missioned, and spiritually Loaded. So if you're like, like Mary, I want to encourage you, keep doing what you have been doing because that really matters. For out of the love that you have for your Savior, go out and love the people around you for his kingdom and glory. 
Now, what is the main takeaway from this passage then? Like I said earlier, we shouldn't reduce this passage. The main takeaway of this passage to don't be like Martha and be like Mary. It's not an either or thing. I heard one pastor put it this way, and this is my uh, encouragement to you. We need both Mary's heart and Martha's hands. But Mary's heart first, and then Martha's hands. You know, starting tomorrow, we have to go back out, and it's going to be a merry world. And we do work in a merry, I mean, Martha's city, right? So don't forget to fight for and protect your merry moments. First things first. And not only that, as you go out with a Mary's heart, serve, embrace those around you with Martha's hands for his glory and in his name. Because I do believe that that's what our Lord desires us to do as we seek to intentionally live for his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your mercies. We humbly acknowledge that, that, that God, we are weary, that our hearts are overwhelmed, and we're exhausted. Because living in this broken world, living in this Martha world, is not easy. So God, with that in mind, and all the more, would you help us so that we will fight for our merry moments, to spend time with you, to be still in your presence, so that as we do first things first, all the things that come after and all the things that we do in our own lives and all the things that we do for, your, for the sake of your kingdom will be done out of our love for you. It'll be just a natural outflow of your love for us, Lord. God, we're so thankful that you are faithful. Continue to use us for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.